powering through some of these less known songs that we have. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, I don't know if you heard in the psalm this morning, it said, sing to the Lord a new song. So we did three of them. <laughs> um, the word of God this morning, our sermon text for this morning, comes from Matthew. At first, if you look at the names of the text, the numbering of the text, you might think this is very strange. Why are we playing hopscotch with the text today? Uh, and uh, I'll explain in a bit, but we're going to be reading from Matthew 6, verse 1. Then we'll read verses 5 through 8. Then we'll read verses 16 to 18. And so let's read from God's Word, and then we'll talk a little more about that selection this morning. Hear now the Word of God. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. To verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room. And shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. To verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he lay its eternal truths on our hearts this morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray to you this morning, very much remembering that you are speaking to us in your word about the subject of prayer. And so we ask for your help that we would learn what it is to be your disciples, what it means to follow you, and what it means for us to live for you rather than for performance. With hearts that are anchored in your truth, would you help us, God? Would you make us keen to see them, Lord? Would you make us keen to search out hypocrisies in our own heart today. Would you send your spirit to search us and try us? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So last week we saw Jesus addressing this topic of performance religion and we read Matthew 1, or sorry, Matthew 6 verses 1 to 4. And then we come to verse 5 this morning, and I thought it was important for us to read verse 1, because again, what is verse 1? Verse 1 is the umbrella. Verse 1 is the verse that sort of explains to us what our text this morning is about. And Jesus last week was addressing this temptation for us to to live and, and do things and to do the right things, but to do those right things in a way that makes sure that we are highly visible, that people can see us. That people see our performance so that people have a higher opinion of us because they've seen us do this thing that is really impressive, that's spiritually impressive to them. And Jesus doesn't stop simply 
with the subject of giving, but he moves on to other topics that religious people are going to practice, things that you're going to do if you love God. If you love God, he assumes you're going to give. If you love God this week, he assumes that you're going to pray. In fact, today what he does is he addresses these two areas of of danger. He addresses these subjects of prayer and fasting. Now, you may notice that verses 9 through 15 are missing from our reading. Verses 9 to 15, if you're looking in your own Bibles, you'll actually see that's the Lord's Prayer. To me, I think the Lord's Prayer deserves its own attention. I think it deserves uh, a careful reading. And so I wanted to set that aside. I wanted to, to, to preach through the Lord's Prayer separately from this subject of religious hypocrisy. I didn't want to interrupt the argument. Now, Jesus does, and Jesus is right for doing it, but I'm not as good of a preacher as Jesus, so we're going to separate things out to keep them simple, because I'm a simple person, and I need to keep things straight. So that's why the Lord's Prayer has been lifted and moved over here, and we're going to do that separately, not next week. Matthew will be preaching next week, Lord willing, uh, but uh, the next week after that. Um, But here's the thing. The subject of prayer and the subject of fasting is an awkward subject. Jesus says that these are actually dangerous activities. He says they're things we need to do, but he says they're dangerous. And so he, he brings warnings with them. He, he says that, that these, we need to be warned about the dangers of what can happen if we pray and if we fast. And of course, it's, a, it's not an if, it's really a, a when. When you pray and when you fast, you need to understand, Jesus says, that there is a danger of performing. And so prayer on its own is a, is a difficult subject for Christians. It's a difficult subject because it is a subject about which I suspect every person in this room feels inadequate. Um, every Christian, Christian feels inadequate. Every pastor that I know, every elder that I know, every deacon that I know, every church member that I ever have had a conversation with about prayer is almost always willing to say, you know what? I don't pray enough. I don't pray enough. I don't speak to the Lord as quickly as I should. My reflex is not to talk to God. So often that's what we hear. And it's because that really is the state of our own hearts. It's what we see. It's what we know about ourselves. We know we should talk to God more. Um, I've never met a person who loved the Lord who said, you know, I talk to the holy and perfect God of the universe just the right amount. (laughs) Could you imagine someone saying, I talk to God the right amount. I don't need to talk to him more. <laughs> uh, it's just hard for me to imagine someone saying that because that's not how we feel. Um, I don't think we sing it here, although maybe next week, who knows? You Be ready, be on your toes. You know that song, Sweet Hour of Prayer? For a lot of us, prayer is like, it's like sweet two minutes of prayer in an accidental nap. You know, sometimes that's what prayer can end up being. It doesn't have a rhythm to it, so you got to call it Sweet Hour of Prayer. I mean, I think all of us, I suspect, feel that way to one degree or another. Why am I not praying more? Why am I not as quick to pray? And so when Jesus talks about prayer, he's instantly putting his finger. He hasn't even said anything, and he's putting his finger on something that hurts for us. He's putting his finger on something that's painful. I think he does that with giving, too. He talks to us about giving, and none of us, I think, would say, oh, I give as much as I could. Same thing with prayer. You know, it's hard to admit it's it's embarrassing to admit but just like giving may be a source of performance temptation um, prayer may be that kind of temptation as well and so jesus addresses it directly today Uh, you're going to notice 
that uh, I included the discussion of fasting, and that's because he's, he's continuing this subject of religious performance, and, and I felt like it, it fit here, and it fit well with what he's saying. And so we're going to look at both of these subjects, actually, the subject of prayer and the subject of fasting. And so this morning, let's get right to what Jesus says. Uh, in terms of points, this is what we're, how we're going to break it down. First, he talks about the kind of religion without reward. Second, he teaches about prayer without performance. And then third, he warns us about fasting without facade. Um, Jesus is very concerned for us. He's worried about your heart. He's worried about the temptations that come your way, even by loving him and following him. There are pitfalls in front of us. And he's very concerned that being religious and performing for others can be such a pit that is easy to fall into. And so let's hear the warning of Jesus this morning. Um, first, Jesus warns us. He says, if we pray wrongly, we will be practicing religion without reward. Look at, look at verse 5 again. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. So Jesus uses this language of reward again. Uh, Jesus is talking here about motivation. He's talking here about the thing that, that drives us. He's talking about the thing that pushes this person he's talking about to pray the way that he prays. Right? He's, he's actually speaking anecdotally here. He, he says, look, we have seen from experience, Jesus says. You've seen people who are driven by a desire to be seen by others. He says, you see the Gentiles, the Gentiles do this sort of thing. Gentiles pray, Jesus says. You've seen Gentiles pray. You've seen them do their religious things. And so the, their desire to be seen by others means that they're going to do religious public expressions, right? The sort of things that Jesus talked about last week, the sort of things that Jesus talked about this week, giving, praying, fasting, right? All of these are the sort of things that, that are good, and they can be done, and they can be bad if they're done wrongly. So he's saying, in a sense, that, that we will get whatever we're aiming at in our religious observance, right? If we want to be seen, we'll find a way to be seen. Uh, if we want to go unnoticed, then he says, then God will see, and people won't, right? He says, it's really up to you. It's, it's really up to you. What are you seeking after? Are you seeking for people to see you, or aren't you seeking for people to see you, right? Which reward are you living for? What is the thing that you're aiming at, who do you do this for? He says, do you live for the reward of people and their esteem, or, or do you live for the, the reward of God and his esteem and living before his face? You can have that choice. You, you, you live each day making that choice. Are you going to perform, or are you going to, to live for the Lord? And so what this means is we're meant to, and we are called to pray with our eyes on God and not for those people who are around us, uh, I was reading some, some commentary on this by Calvin, and Calvin actually says performed prayer that's engineered for other people to see doesn't even count as prayer. He says it's not even prayer. He says it is a performance. It's, it's an oxymoron to, to perform at prayer. He says it must be one or the other, but if you're trying to make it both, then it's not. He says they are really pretend prayers. That's the phrase that he uses. Jesus says, look, if you pray with your eyes on people instead of on the Lord, if you pray for other people to approve and 
and other people to admire, you will depart from that place getting what you came for and you will leave with empty hands. All you'll have is the fleeting sense that other people approve of you for the moment. And that is nothing in the eyes of eternity. See, if you pray for others to to hear, that is the reward that you get. Now, God tells us there's a reward involved in praying to God privately. There is something to be gained by praying with God as the only person that we have in mind. Again, we talked about rewards last week. We talked about giving and the kind of rewards that God gives. And one of the things we talked about was the fact that the reward we should think about, when we think about the rewards Jesus is talking about, we should not be thinking about earthly possessions, heavenly plaques, right? Stacks of gold, those sorts of things. That's not what Jesus has in mind because when we get to heaven, the greatest thing we could possibly receive is Christ himself. And so... We need to not think in fleshly terms. Uh, We need to be thinking in terms of rewards, in terms of spiritual goods that God gives to us because of this thing that we have practiced and nobody else knows about. So I want to mention a few rewards that come from private prayer. Rewards that come from private prayer. So first is this. Private prayer gives us an opportunity to confess our sins to God. It gives us an opportunity to confess our sins to God. In private prayer, we can say things to God that are not fit for us to say to other people, right? Uh, It would be very deeply strange to have, say, for example, in our public prayers here, if we had a list of uh, prayer requests and if we had individuals saying, uh, Lord, help my battle with lust. We don't usually expect that. And then the guy's name is written there, right? Um, We don't tend to do that. Uh, It would also be deeply strange if an elder of our church got up and was leading worship and started praying about his own private sins and his own private concerns. We would recognize that there's something strange about that. And I think the answer is because we understand that private prayer is where we engage with God on these things. Private prayer is something that's different from public prayer. And so when we go to God in private, we can do something that we don't do around others. We can speak to him about those private battles in our own hearts and in our own lives that are not part of what we do in public or even when we pray with our own families, I think. Second, private prayer draws us near to God, nearer to God personally. It draws us nearer to God personally because here's here's the reality. In private prayer, we are talking to the person of God. We're not talking to someone else. We know there's no one else that can hear We know in private prayer that that the thing we're saying is being heard only by the creator of the universe. He is a person. He is someone to be spoken with. He is someone to be conversed with. Um, When we have an intimate friendship with God, it means opening our heart to him personally in a way that only private prayers allow. Sometimes there are things that can only be done and said to God in private prayer. This is one of the rewards of private prayer that we draw near to God. Third, private prayer allows us to slowly, thoughtfully, without any kind of rush, without any kind of agenda, meditating upon scripture and showing our heart to God and allowing God to show our own heart to us. So for example, um, you read scripture 
and then you pray over that scripture with God. This is something that's done personally. It's something that's done in private. And here's what it does. It's not just about talking to God, but it's also about having his word impact us in a way that doesn't happen when we're praying publicly. Where we understand the scripture better, where it has an actual impact, where it lands upon our own hearts in a way that chewing on it slowly, without a rush, without anybody standing there tapping their foot or wondering why the prayer is taking so long. We're not worrying about anybody else. They're actually just talking through scripture with God and saying, Lord, you've said this. I can see my own shortcomings here. And you're talking to him in a way that you wouldn't when other people are around. See, private prayer is more patient. It's less concerned with what others think. And that gives time for real meditation on what God has said and a more deliberate pace. This is one of the rewards of private prayer before God. Fourth, I I just want to mention one last thing, and, and I don't think these are the only rewards that come from private prayer, but these are just simply a place for us to start in terms of thinking through this subject. I just want to mention this. Private prayer allows us to unburden our own hearts and lay our anxieties before God in a way we wouldn't do if there were someone else there. You can say to God, I am afraid. How many of us are willing to say that sort of thing in a room full of people? Oh God, I am afraid because of this thing in my life. And oftentimes the things we are afraid of are small things, weird things, little things. The sort of things we wouldn't tell another person about because they seem so small. And yet God says, pray to me constantly. Pray to me without ceasing. Pray to me about the silly little anxieties that follow you around and that you are so fearful about unburden yourself to me, God says. He's inviting you to pray to him in private. And and so if you're anxious, private prayer, I think, is the primary way God intends to lift your worries and your anxieties from your shoulders. The things that you are the most fearful about and the most worried about, often they are the last thing we actually pray for. I don't know if you could resonate with this at all, but I have had seasons of my life where I was so worried, so anxious, so fearful, and it only dawned on me at the last moment, I have not been praying. No wonder I was so anxious. No wonder I was so fearful. No wonder I was so worried. I was trying to handle all of this with my wisdom and my skill and my abilities And I was trying to hold it all together and I was trying to somehow keep it and hold it and somehow make it right. And when you go to God and say, Lord, this is your situation. This is something you do in private. This is one of the rewards of private prayer that God will lift those burdens from you. When you actually go to him and say, these really are yours, oh God. That's the kind of prayer that we don't do in public. That's the kind of prayer that we do when we are before the face of God and no one else is there and nobody else knows. God has rich rewards for us if we'll come to him in private. We get no such benefits when we perform for others. And Jesus yearns for us to remember that. The kind of prayer life that you live where everybody else sees is a very different kind of prayer life than the life that you live privately in secret. Which takes us actually to the second point this morning. Jesus teaches that Christians 
should engage in prayer without performance. Look at verses 6 to 8 again. He's, he's already told us what not to do, right? He's, he's told us, don't pray like this. And then instead, in verses 6 to 8, he says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus says we have to avoid these performance prayers, right? These are the sort of prayers that sound so good. They sound so long. They sound so articulate. They sound so theologically sound, right? And we think to ourselves, how could this person not know the Lord? And Jesus, Jesus knows about those sort of prayers. Jesus has heard those sort of prayers. He wants you to know how dangerous they are. See, the danger is you might not be praying to God at all. You might be performing for an audience, um, whether that's you and one other person, whether that's you and a group that's gathered to pray, whether that is an elder who's leading worship each day, Uh, on Sunday, wherever it is, there is always that danger that we would be caring more about what those present think than about what God thinks. And Jesus is telling us, how do you avoid this danger? How do you avoid the danger of being a a hypocrite, of being a performer, uh, of being somebody who cares more about what people think than what God thinks? And so Jesus says something. Jesus gives us something here, something practical something super practical. Jesus mentions this. He says, one way to avoid this is by choosing the location of your prayer. Yes, you could stand on a street corner. You could go to some place of of high visibility to pray. He says, you can pray anywhere after all, right? Again, Paul says, pray without ceasing. So it's possible to be in any location and to pray. But Jesus says, pick somewhere that no one will see. Pick somewhere that no one will care what you're doing. It's very tempting to pick a highly visible place, even in your own house. But Jesus says, you know, shut the door when you're in your house. He doesn't say just be in your house. He actually says shut the door. I think Jesus understands. I don't just think Jesus understands. He does understand. He lived in a home full of other people, right? Jesus, we know, lived in a house with other brothers and sisters. There was Mary there. Uh, Throughout much of his childhood, Joseph is there. You can imagine the home Jesus grew up in and the home that Jesus lived in was a very boisterous place with a lot of noise and a lot of running around and a lot of interruptions. And so Jesus says, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. Now I'm going to confess something. Uh, I get up before everybody else in my house. Sometimes I get up just crazy early. Sometimes I'm up at 4 a.m. And I'm up before everybody else. And a lot of times I use my time well, but I have had some mornings where I get up and I don't use my time well. I get up, uh, I look through a news website, I read through my emails. Now I'll get my Bible out, I'll lay it on the table and I'll say, I'll get to you in a minute. And here's what sometimes happens, not every time, but this does happen. Occasionally time passes and upstairs I hear a noise. It's a noise that means that my wife has risen for the day. And it means that she's going to come down the stairs in a minute. And I have a choice. What will I be doing when she walks down the stairs? Will I be reading through my emails? 
or I could get over there to my Bible. And she would see a very disciplined and put-together husband. Now, the thought goes through my head. I won't tell you how it always turns out, but my wife probably thinks I'm more put-together than I am. I'm sure I'm the only person that's ever tempted to think anything along those lines. I'm sure no one else has ever had that thought. But here's what Jesus says. He says, look, even in our own homes, we can be tempted to perform. We can care what the other people in the house think of us, right? It's not just the people in the world out there. It's not just the people in the church service. It's not just the people that we see on Sundays or maybe on the, at the Wednesday morning Bible study or at the Saturday morning men's Bible study. It's not just them that we're tempted to perform for. We might even be tempted to perform for our own households. And Jesus says one of the ways, one of the very practical ways that we can avoid this performance is to choose our location. He says, if you have anywhere else to pray, do it. Avoid the temptation to perform. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door. Shut the door. Um, No one knows what happens in a locked room, right? It's just you and God. And private is where your true person is really on display. It's where the, the, the greatest expression of the Christian comes out. What happens? What are you doing behind closed doors? No one else is there to approve. No one else is there to, to pat you on the back. No one else is there to tell you how wonderful you are and what a great example you are. There's no one else there to impress. It may be a haunting thing to hear. Maybe a sobering thing to hear. Jesus says it's true. Uh, John Chrysostom, uh, he preached 1,600 years ago. He was one of the favorite preachers of the Reformers. The Reformers quote John Chrysostom just exhaustively in their writings. They read his sermons. He was such a good preacher. Writing in the 400s, this guy is preaching. In the 3 and 400s, he's a great preacher of the early church. Here's what John Chrysostom said. He said, because God himself is hidden, your prayer should be hidden. Jesus is saying the same thing. In fact, John's saying what Jesus is saying, right? We avoid this temptation by praying privately and and living a hidden religion, not a publicly performed religion. Now, as I was working on this, I thought, this is interesting. We're going to get to the end of this sermon, and they're going to think that I have a problem with public prayers. (laughs) Uh, After all, Jesus almost seems to. If you just... Don't try to harmonize what Jesus is saying here with the rest of the New Testament or the rest of the life of Jesus. You might be tempted to think that public prayers are wrong, right? Every time we have public worship, uh, I or another elder leads the church in prayer. Michael led in prayer this morning in the service, right? We're not praying in secret here. We are doing public prayer. Let me say a few things about public prayers. The first thing we should be clear about is public prayer is biblical. Jesus is not absolutely putting a prohibition on praying in public, right? Uh, Public prayer was a regular part of Jesus' ministry. Jesus prayed around other people. Not every prayer that Jesus prayed was prayed in private, right? There is public prayer in the upper room where Jesus is thanking God for the food, right? We say it in the words of institution. He took the bread, he broke it, he thanked God for it, right? So we know that he prayed in front of the disciples. 
in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John, having just been arrested for healing the crippled man, they get released, and when they find their friends, what are the friends doing? They're praying together. Um, they, they lead them in, in prayer, beginning with the Psalms. The text says they lifted their voices together to God. So they're praying together, and they're praying as a group. In Acts chapter 6, the disciples publicly pray for the deacons who've just been ordained. Um, Paul prays with the Ephesian Christians as they're kneeling on the seashore in Acts chapter 20. The Bible's filled with people who, who don't just pray alone. The Bible is filled with events where people say, it's suitable, it's right for us to pray together. And yet, and yet we can also see here that public prayer is also immensely risky. Because even as we lead you in public prayer, we could think more about you than we think about the Lord. Right? We, we could think more about making sure this is a prayer that is appreciated than thinking about the God that we're praying to. Right? This, is a, this is a really important warning for elders. It's convicting for elders. There's no way in all the times I've ever led prayer in churches that I haven't thought more about the congregation than I did about God. And it's sin when I do. It's dangerous. It's dangerous for anyone who leads a group in prayer. Um, second, so the first thing is public prayer is biblical. The second thing I want to mention is public prayer is about helping others to pray. It's not only about helping others to pray, but we need to think that in that way. Um, when I or our elders stand up here to open worship, we give the, the invocation, right? We, we pray, we ask God to help us understand the text, whatever it may be. We are not primarily meant to be praying for ourselves personally, um, the point is not for us, the point is for us to lead you as a congregation in prayer. And so that means that even as we pray, you as a congregation are meant to join in and pray along so that our prayers become your prayers. Um, the idea is that as we approach the Lord, as we look to him, you're following our lead and you're doing the same. Sometimes have to do this as a family. Uh, we'll sit together and we'll pray. And I will tell the kids, you are not here to listen to me pray. Right? As the dad, I'm, if I'm leading in prayer, the point is not for you to sit quietly while I pray. The, the point is actually for you to join in the prayer so that, so that my prayers here become your prayers as well. They need to be prayers that don't just apply to me. They need to be prayers that apply to those that you're leading in prayer. Right? That's why we don't confess our private sins in our public prayers because everyone in the room needs to be able to confess these things. We all need to be able to relate what's, with what's being said so that they become our prayers. And, and so, you know, I'll do this with my kids. I'll say, don't goof around. Stop looking around. Uh, you know, stop, stop messing around. Because if you're doing that, I know that these prayers are not becoming your prayers. That you're not making these your prayers as well. And the same thing goes for a congregation. The idea is for these prayers that are prayed publicly to become your prayers as well. You're meant to join the prayer. Um, and so there's this delicate balance um, because even when the elders are leading in public prayer, we're supposed to be praying to God, not to an audience, certainly not to people. Uh, we are here to help people pray. We're not here to pray to them, though, as though the congregation is the primary audience. Remember what Calvin says, right? If we pray to people, it is pretended prayer, not real prayer. Now, it is 
It's possible to strike that wise balance of praying to God, remembering that we're helping a whole group of people to do that as well. That's what Jesus wants for us when we pray in public. So, so in all of this, remember, Jesus is not forbidding public prayers. He is forbidding pretended prayers. He's forbidding pretended prayers. I think it helps a great deal to remember what prayer is. Prayer is not a performance. Prayer is not play acting at knowing God. Prayer is not a show to help others see how sanctified we are. Um, I'm going to go to John Chrysostom again. He's, he's got such rich things to say on this subject. And he has a sermon that he preached on this actual passage. And I want you to, to, to listen to him because he sets the, the tone and, and the reason why we actually pray. I want you to hear this and I want you to, to take this in and make it part of your own prayers. Listen to this. He says, when you pray... It is as if you were entering into a palace, not a palace on earth, but far more awesome, a palace in heaven. When you enter there, you do so with complete attentiveness and fitting respect. For in the houses of kings, all turmoil is set aside and silence reigns. Yet here you are being joined by choirs of angels. You are in communion with archangels and singing with the seraphim who sing with great awe their spiritual hymns and sacred songs to God, the Lord of all. So when you are praying, mingle with these voices, patterning yourself according to their mystical order. It is not to human beings that you are praying, but to God who is present everywhere, who hears even when you speak and who knows already the secrets of the heart. You see this. He says, it is not to human beings that you are praying. Being reminded of what we're doing when we pray and being reminded to whom we are speaking in prayer has a way of solemnizing the, the weightiness of this. How do we pray without performance? He says, by fixing our gaze on the Lord and living before his face and not for the face of an audience. Now, Jesus touches on a third issue, a third danger related to public performance in verses 16 to 18. Jesus presses us toward fasting without facade. And I want to read you what he says there one more time. Jesus has already talked about giving. He's already talked about prayer. Well, listen to this. He says, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. We need to talk about fasting. Uh, Jesus has been talking about practicing our religion from the right motivation, not so that people will admire us, so that people can know the Lord, right? That's the motivation. We want to know God and we want everyone else to know God. He talked about prayer as this occasion where we can be tempted to perform. And then he uses this example of fasting as another example, as another insight into the ways that we can do this performance thing. What is fasting? Fasting is temporary abstaining from food for the purpose of prayer. If you wanted to give it a really simple definition, I think that's Probably the simplest definition that you could, you could find. Uh, when you look in the Old Testament for it, it's actually not always easy to find. The book of Leviticus says that for the Day of Atonement, people are supposed to afflict themselves. That's the, the language the text uses. More than likely, this means they're supposed to abstain from food. 
You see some places in the Old Testament where fasting is practiced, but you don't find instructions or commands for people to fast. It's one of those interesting things as I was working through this. I thought it's interesting to not find directions on how you're supposed to fast in Scripture. Uh, Instead, generally when fasting happens in Scripture, it tends to happen as a way of expressing sorrow for sin and sorrow for suffering. Um, Jesus says fasting is about mourning in Matthew 9.15. That happens twice in Nehemiah where the people are mourning and what do they do? They fast. They afflict themselves is what the text says. Uh, David in Psalm 35 says that he fasted and mourned. Uh, Daniel is said to turn his face to God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So here's what happens. Someone fasts from food. And as an alternative to eating, they give themselves to prayer as a way of mourning, as a way of imploring God for his help in a a desperate situation. It it appears fasting is not a common practice. It is an extreme practice. Sometimes it's deemed necessary. Um, Jesus attaches no significance to fasting here. He doesn't say what it does. He doesn't say why someone would do it. He doesn't command it, but he doesn't discourage it. Instead, he treats it like another religious activity that he sees people doing and sometimes making a performance out of. In other words, he says, here's another tripwire. Here's another thing that if you do it, you could find the danger in it. You need to know about it. Um, Fasting appears to have been so uncommon for Jesus and his disciples that in Matthew 9, guess what happens? Jesus' disciples stick out. And they stick out because John's disciples and the Pharisees fast, but Jesus and his crew don't fast. And people notice it. Now, when we get to Matthew 9, we'll talk about Jesus' answer to to that question and why they're not fasting. But notice their lack of fasting at least indicates that it isn't a necessary part of the Christian life, right? It's, it's It's not like prayer, for example. Jesus is giving himself to prayer constantly. The disciples are praying constantly. Prayer is a part of their lives. It's part of the Christian's daily food. Jesus prays constantly. He goes off alone to pray. But the only time we know of that Jesus fasts is during his 40 days in the wilderness. And if he, and if he did fast, no one knew it or noted it, which is sort of the point, isn't it? <laughs> We're not supposed to know. Um, But Jesus mentions that prayer is dangerous. It puts us in a place where we can be tempted to perform for others to see. And Jesus says, fasting is like that too. Fasting is in that category of practices. By no means does Jesus tell us not to fast necessarily. But he doesn't tell us to fast either. He also wants us to know that fasting comes with dangers, right? The danger of wanting to be seen. The danger of of wanting to be known for being such a religious person. Um, here's what Jesus says. He says, when you fast, don't be gloomy. That's the word he uses. Don't be gloomy. Don't look sad. Don't mess yourself up. Don't get hangry for crying out loud, right? Um, have self-control. I tried to fast once when I was in high school. I worked at a burger joint. It's a terrible place to work if you try to do that. Now, I use the word try, okay? I don't think that's bragging if you only tried. <laughs> I may have eaten a triple quarter pounder by the end of the night. I I don't remember. Uh, (laughs) um, He says, don't, you know, don't, don't let others be able to tell something's wrong, right? He says, blend in with everyone else. Uh, Jesus uses this phrase. 
He says, hypocrites disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. I don't always go into the Greek, and I'm not actually going to read any Greek to you, but there's some wordplay in the Greek that's fun here. And Jesus is very clever in what he does. So here's what he does. He uses these two words here. He says they have a similar root, so he makes this play on words. Here's what he actually says here. He doesn't actually say hypocrites disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. If you wanted to be more literal, here's what he says. Hypocrites make themselves unrecognizable in order to be recognized. That's clever. He uses the same word. Like he just, It's just like in the English. I don't know how the translators missed this. They're better translators than me. They know their, their Greek better than me. I'm going to trust them. But they make themselves unrecognizable in order to be recognized. People have done this throughout the history of the church. Church history is filled with... People like desert fathers, people who sat on poles in the wilderness, monastics, ascetics, people who denied themselves, people that we still have written about in books. We know about, how they, about their holy antics, right? People who took vows of public, public vows of poverty. They performed their, their lives in such a way that they drew admirers for far and wide, people who came to become disciples of these individuals. Look at this man living on a pole in the desert, making everyone bring him food and carrying away his waste. What a great hero to all of us, right? If only we could be as dedicated and religious as that guy. And the people come and they say, what's your secret? What's your secret? It's so typical for people to be drawn to those who seem to take the Lord more seriously. It's common for people to ignore those who seem wishy-washy, right? We don't want to follow the wishy-washy people. We want to follow the extreme people. We want to follow the hardcore people. We want to follow the people who really mean it. And we're afraid of people who are soft. But if you know someone is practicing these extremes, you should be aware they may be performing for your benefit. The seemingly humble person could be the proudest of them all. I grew up with sort of a charismatic background, and, and fasting was seen as a normal part of your lifestyle. It was a normal part of being a Christian. Um, again, you know, I was probably 16 when I decided to try it, and, and, and I failed at it. Um, but I remember just hearing about it, knowing about it from a very young age. I think I remember I was 12 years old. I was in church. Uh, I hadn't become an atheist yet. I was just on the verge of probably about to becoming an atheist I'm 12 years old, and I'm hearing the men in the church, and they're talking about how often they fast. And some of them say, I, I fast on Fridays. Every Friday is a fasting day for me. I, I don't eat at all on Fridays. And, and sometimes they'd say, I'm going to be fasting two days next week. I'm especially concerned about this or that issue. And now here I am, and I look back, and I think that it's a bit strange that I knew this all at all, right? Isn't it, isn't it odd that here I am, a 12-year-old boy, and I know about the fasting practices of the men in the church, right? How did I know that? I knew about it because they were talking about it. And they weren't even talking about it quietly. They were talking about it loud enough that the kids walking through the room knew all about it. They tried to be nonchalant so people wouldn't think they were bragging. But I remember thinking, these people will really take the Lord seriously. I was 12 years old. I thought, this is what a serious person who really takes God seriously does. I think Jesus would have said to these brothers, how do so many people know that you're fasting? How do so many people know that you're not going to be eating Friday next week? 
I think this is the teaching of, of Jesus. If we fast, it really should be secret. It really should be something between us and the Lord, not for someone else to know about. Fasting is not an opportunity to draw people near to us. It's supposed to be an opportunity for us to draw near to God. It's supposed to be different than we sometimes use these things for. It's an opportunity for us to abase and lower ourselves, not raise ourselves up in the eyes of others. I think Jesus is setting a question before us today. If you look at the, just the range of topics Jesus is talking about here, and this is a question we all need to contemplate. Who do you live for? Who's your audience? Whose esteem do you value? As you live the Christian life, what's the most important thing to you? Jesus wants you to know that the respect of others is a fading thing. It is a temporary thing. It is as fragile as paper. It's as fleeting as a mist. If you, if you get the reward of other people's esteem, you are getting a shallow and quick fix that doesn't last. Hidden religion comes with none of the superficial benefits of public prayer. People won't talk about you. People won't even remember you and celebrate you later on. And they won't flock to you. I love... I love what Tim Keller says in his book on prayer. He says, the infallible test of spiritual integrity, Jesus says, is your private prayer life. Many people will pray when they are required by cultural or social expectations. Those with a genuinely lived relationship with God as Father, however, will inwardly want to pray and therefore will pray even though nothing on the outside is pressing them to do so. End quote. Jesus is driving all of us away from fleeting opinions. He is pressing us in an eternal direction. Whose face should we be living before? R.C. Sproul used to talk about the Christian life as this thing that is lived corum deo, which is just Latin for before the face of God. He says this is the way our life is meant to be lived, before the face of God, with God as the primary witness of our lives, the primary one that we live before and we live for. And see, this is the challenge not to live before the face of man, not to be afraid of people's opinions, and not to try to earn people's opinions, not to perform so others will respect and esteem you, but instead to live every day, not for people, but before the face of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, our need is not to know our neighbor better. Our need is to know ourselves better. It's not, our greatest need is not to know ourselves better. Our greatest need is to know you and to be able to open our hearts to you. We need more than simply to be performers. We need you. And so, oh God, would you give us all hearts that yearn for you and not for the love or esteem of people. We ask it in Jesus' name.